Hi, and welcome to Mumspire, your go-to place for inspiration, information, and great tips on how you can become a happier and healthier mum. My name is Anna Maria, and I'm your host. I work as a naturopath, nutritionist, herbalist, doula, and yoga instructor. But most importantly, I'm a fellow mum. I am back with the podcast. I am so excited to be here. And now we're also on video, which is very exciting. The podcast had had to have a little pause because I had my fourth baby and of course have been working very busily with births and the clinic. So I'm glad we're back. It's been a little while. Thank you for waiting. And I want to just take a moment to say a huge thank you and let you know how much I appreciate all the feedback and requests and inquiries I've been receiving for more podcast episodes. I don't think I really realized that my podcast was actually being listened to, but it has meant so much to me to hear from you and to hear how much you appreciate them. That really fuels my creativity and fuels my passion to create more. And I just wanted to take a moment to let you know that that really means a lot to me. So thank you for reaching out and just giving me feedback. It, it's hugely appreciated. In this episode, I'm speaking with my dear friend, Dr. Vibeke Murphy. She's a chiropractor here in Sydney who I both love and respect as a friend and very much so as a colleague. I send a lot of my pregnant clients to her um, to help just feel better in pregnancy and to help prepare for birth and the postpartum, as well as helping the little baby get into optimal positions. Dr. Vivica Murphy is a chiropractor of more than 20 years. She is also a yoga teacher and a proud mother of two. She's also an educator of anatomy, and so she really embodies and knows this stuff. She's a woman who also practices what she preaches, which is why I love and admire her so much, because she walks and talks health. She really is a glowing woman. You can tell that she takes care of herself. You can tell that she understands how the body works and what health is. So we can all learn from Vibeke, and I'm excited about you learning about chiropractic care in pregnancy and how it can be helpful and why it's an important therapy to consider as you go through your pregnancy and postpartum journey. Enjoy and thank you so much for listening. You can find out more about Dr. Vibeke Murphy on her website, which is drvibekemurphy.com. I will, of course, leave all of her details on my website under the Mums Buy podcast and in the notes below. Welcome, Vivica. I am really, really happy that you are here on the podcast. I have a lot of respect for how you both, both professionally, we are friends and we've known each other for many years. Um, but professionally, I really respect your wisdom and your dedication to your work. Um, I know how hard you work and um, how many people you see in a day. It's quite phenomenal. And at the same time, I know that you're also a busy mom and you managed to somehow take care of yourself in a way that not many people do. And that really just makes me so um, fascinated by how you actually practice what you preach. And it's clear to me and to everyone I know that have um, worked with you and been in your clinic that you have such a deep understanding of the body, of course, also of the mind, but health, the overall health and the holistic person that we all are. 
And I feel like you're one who is close to nailing it. Um, I won't put you in a bracket of being perfect. I think none, none of us can be, but I think you really, to me at least, uh, look like someone who um, really are doing a phenomenal job at integrating the knowledge um, and, and taking care of your people and your family and yourself, most importantly. Vivica, so, how do you do it? Tell us more about you. What's, um, what brought you into chiropractor and um, yeah, how long? Okay, it- well, I actually, um, thank you, Anna Maria. That's lovely. And I'm nowhere near perfect. It's all just a journey. And there's a lot of smoke and mirrors, as we all know, along the way. So it's about the balancing act. Um, but I really, I actually fell into chiropractic when I first finished school. Um, I started studying law and I knew that that wasn't right for me. And then I was interested in following um, a path into nutrition and dietetics. I was always very interested in that, always had an interest in the human body and health and fitness and stuff like that. And then just before I um, started the first year of my um, health science degree, I um, injured my SI joint or sacroiliac joint while I was at work and, um, you know, I was hobbling around. I was this 19-year-old hobbling around and um, my dad said, oh, I'm going to take you to my chiropractor. And I thought, oh, okay, I'll go. I'd I'd never been and didn't know what it was all about. And I was really fascinated that this chiropractor just kind of did these very sort of simple, it seemed like he was just kind of you know, rubbing a little point on my bottom and then he sort of stretched me and did a few funny little manoeuvres and then lo and behold, the pain had disappeared. I thought, oh, my goodness, this is incredible, really amazing. And um, I thought maybe this is something that I could do because I really liked that it was personable, like you were working one-on-one with the client. Um, I like the physicality of it because I really love moving my body and I'm very kinesthetic like I love touching things and people um and it was certainly in line with the health science that I was already about to begin that journey of anatomy and physiology and how the body works and all the rest of it so I investigated it a little more and I realized that I was on the right path and um the health science was the right degree to be doing and then I needed to apply for a master's Um, which was another two years after that. So it was like five years all up to become a qualified chiropractor. And that's as simple as how it all started. And just really by chance, it has been a really wonderful journey for me because it's given me so much passion and joy. Like I really love looking after people. I truly love learning about the human body. And even though I've been practicing now for nearly 25 years, I still feel like I've got so much more to learn and there's so much more I want to learn. Like, you know, I did my five-year degree, but every year I'm studying more and more things and doing different techniques and learning different modalities. Um, I'm also a yoga instructor and I feel like I've only just touched the tip of the iceberg with that. But I like learning about all of these things because actually ultimately they all integrate together and you realise that we are these amazing, complex and unique human beings, bodies and minds, and um, we all need to be treated individually. And so that's really how I try and practice. I don't have a one-size-fits-all 
um, technique or or style in my practice when I'm seeing patients. I really try and look at the body as a whole and look at the person. You know, they, you know, some people are more laid back, some are, you know, more anxious. Um, you know, I try and take in sort of their mental health and also their um with the demands on them as, you know, a person like someone might be, you know, more sedentary in their job. Other people might be, you know, moving around or they've got three kids that they have to look after as long as well as juggling all the other aspects of their um, their life. So I try and look at the person very holistically and then come up with a, a plan to best help them. And so that might um, with me um, might involve me, first of all, looking at them and doing a structural analysis. But then once we've got a, a bit of a diagnosis, I might be doing some soft tissue work on them to release the tight muscles. I might be using some pelvic blocks to balance out their pelvis. Um, sometimes I use some dry needling, which really helps to get some blood flow deep into the muscles and helps to drain out some of the inflammation. Sometimes it's just simple as doing some little mobilizations or um, some cranial work. I love working on the, the cranial nerves. It's a very, um, very gentle technique, but it's super soothing and, and um, quite therapeutic as well. So really, I try and use all the different tools that I have in my toolbox and I might throw in a few little yoga poses or um, show them a breathing technique. Um, I'm definitely a very keen um, advocate of Pilates and I also think lifting weights for women is amazing because women are strong and we need to maintain our strength and certainly women who are about to become mothers or are mothers need to be strong. Anyone that has children realises that there's a huge amount of physicality involved in um, having babies and, and small children. So I really think that um, if I can educate women about how they can strengthen their body, um, it can really lead them to a, a long, healthy life where they feel good in their own skin and they are pain-free. So that's kind of how I look at my practice. And I also treat a lot of men as well. But to, for today's purpose, we're talking about women. Yeah. Um, with uh, pregnant women in particular, I um, I love treating pregnant women, by the way. Like they're always an absolute joy and um, it's always such an honour to look after them and just, you know, watch this transformation of their body. And there's not just the transformation of obviously them growing a baby inside of them, but um, there's usually, a, you know, an emotional and, and um, mental transformation that happens during that time. But I do see that, and this is it's not a bad thing, it's just what happens as a woman is growing a baby, there are a lot of musculoskeletal changes that occur and they do put a lot of stress and strain on a woman's body. So obviously as um, the baby starts to grow and the uterus starts to expand, um, we our centre of gravity starts to change. So rather than sort of hips and shoulders and head being <clears throat> reasonably aligned, um, suddenly the pelvis or the hips start to sort of tilt forward a bit and we end up getting a bit more of an arch in our low back because if we just stood up straight and we had the belly um, out in front of us, we'd sort of almost overbalance and want to topple forward. So what we do is we start to sort of lean back 
to and sort of overcompensate. Yeah. yeah, so you sort of get the tilt in the pelvis and the low back starts to arch more, mm. which makes perfect sense. It has to happen. So that happens. But then because that's happening, then our upper back needs to compensate. So it starts to round a little more. And, of course, we all know what happens when you're pregnant, your boobs grow. Oh. Mm-hmm. And um, so you've got more weight basically on the front part of your body, on your belly and on your chest. So there's this sort of recalibration of your uh, musculoskeletal system trying to find where its new centre of gravity is. So that happens. And then also um, in response to that, there's certain muscles that um, soften and loosen, obviously, because we need to make more space for the growing baby. So our abdominal muscles start to stretch and soften and loosen. We've got four layers of abdominal muscles. So it's not just one little muscle. It's actually four layers of muscles that are really changing. So we've got the most superficial layer, which is the rectus abdominis. And that's what kind of gives you the six pack. And those muscles start to lengthen and soften. And they're sort of a a vertical muscle. So when when they start to open up and stretch, quite often they can separate slightly and it's perfectly normal for this to happen. In fact, it needs to happen. But as that separation occurs, it just means you have more less stability in those muscles because suddenly once upon a time they were stuck together and now they're sort of softening, lengthening and opening up. So that's the first thing. Then we have our side muscles, our oblique muscles, Um, And they start to sort of expand and soften as well. And so there's less stability there at the sides. And then lastly, the deep layer of muscle, which is a horizontal muscle, and it's like a corset. It's called the transverse abdominis. That's that sort of deep core muscle that we often talk about. That has to lengthen, of course, because, you know, you can't be all corseted up if you're growing a beautiful baby. So that starts to soften and lengthen. And that muscle is really in charge of, kind of creating a, a scaffolding around our spine and, and creating like a nice sort of strong core and nice pressure. And, of course, as that softens and stretches, we don't have the same stability in our spine. And um, so along with the softened muscles, the heavy weight of the baby growing on the front and then the um, the instability of the spine and the extra spinal curve, you can see that it's just putting a lot more load on some of those Um, joints in your back. Mm. Um, You've also got your pelvis and your pelvis is a ring-shaped structure and it's really stable, like it's nice stable structure and it's got all of our, um, you know, reproductive organs in there and the uterus is encased in there and the pelvic floor sits like a sling underneath there. So that's all there. But as um, the pregnancy progresses, Um, our body starts to release a hormone called relaxin and it's this amazing hormone that allows all of our connective tissue to soften and stretch. So, you know, we think that you couldn't possibly stretch anymore because of this hormone, this connective tissue, your skin can stretch beautifully and the muscles start to loosen and soften and everything softens. So even the... um, the connective tissue holding the pelvis together. So at the front of the pelvis, we have a little joint. It's called the pubic symphysis, and it's a little disc there. And um, that usually is quite stable, but there's enough movement there so that, you know, if if we're walking or jumping, there's sort of like just a little tiny bit of give. But obviously throughout pregnancy, 
as the relaxin is released, that starts to kind of get spongier and stretchier. And also it's starting to soften because eventually we have to be able to give birth and there's got to be enough room. So the pelvis has got to open up. So that little pubic symphysis there can sometimes um, get a little bit inflamed or a little bit sore. You can get a little bit of pelvic pain right down at the front of the um, pubic bone just because that connective tissue is starting to soften. And same thing at the back where your um, pelvic bones uh, connect into the sacrum, there's ligaments holding them together And those ligaments are also sort of normally they're really strong and tough and there's hardly any movement there. But now there's just generalised, there's one, there's a bit more give because of the relaxant, but also we've got this whole change in our centre of gravity. So the way that um, the load is distributed is not the same and there's more tension on some of Mm. those ligaments. Mm. Also, um, are some people or some women more prone to having these pubis symphysis, you know, and feeling discomfort there or back pain? Because I find, because obviously the recommendation in pregnancy is to maintain activity, stay strong, which we'll go into more detail about, but some go through pregnancy and have no issues and some are just plagued by inflammation of the lower back and the pubis and so on. Do you see any correlation? Look, I definitely think um, there's a, a genetic uh, factor. So I think that some women's bodies, just the way that they've been put together, are more able to withstand the um, the changes. Um, everyone has quite different connective tissue, just as um, some women, you know, they might um, be pregnant number a number of times and never get any stretch marks they've got a different type of um, resilience and elasticity right. in their connective tissue and some women don't have the same resilience and, and um, elasticity and it's not anything that necessarily they've done wrong with you know diet or lifestyle it's just the way that they've their genetic makeup is like the quality of their skin to start with so we are all kind of I guess, programmed to be a particular way and we're all quite unique. So some some women are able to sort of, you know, how you talk about those women that just sort of elastic band back. There are those women that, you know, they just have seem to have a bit more elasticity and, and, um, and spring in their connective tissue so they don't seem to um, get as unstable, I guess. Um, but it can also be related to age because obviously as we grow older naturally we don't have as much resilience and um, strength and elasticity in our connective tissue so say if you're having a baby at 20 versus a baby at 40 I'm not saying that's exactly 100% but there certainly is a difference between you know carrying a pregnancy at 20 and carrying a pregnancy at 40 or even 35 or whatever so there's that And then there's also maybe you've had an injury in the past. So say you've had, maybe you've had a skiing injury and you've um, broken your tailbone while you've been snowboarding or something and that injury is all healed. But um, just like when we injure or we cut our arm or scrape our knee, there's like a scar there. So there's scar tissue. So just as you, if you fracture your tailbone or you have a, you know, a trauma and and have a fall, there's a bit of scar, scar there. So then when you head into that um, pregnancy, you might not have 
exactly the same um, resilience in the connective tissue as maybe someone that hasn't had an injury. Um, other things that can be important factors are also just um, your general health and fitness at the time of conception. So if your body's fairly balanced and you're fairly pain-free, injury-free, you know, you, you're quite strong and supple at the time of pregnancy, you're probably going to have less likely to have issues than not. I'm not saying that's 100% the case, but yeah. you've got a better chance than someone who maybe has had a couple of disc protrusions and has, has a lot of um, problems with weakness and instability already. I also think um, this is important one to note, you know, some women are hypermobile, so and men as well, but people who are hypermobile, their connective tissue is not as um, resilient and strong. So the ligaments that hold their bones together are much more lax. So they're they're sort of the wobbly, I call yeah. them the sort of floppy people. So they're the people that you see in a yoga class that can just do pretzel type so mm -hmm. Yes, without even, you know, warming up and they just sort of, easily fall into a lot of these more advanced poses. The only, I mean, that's all well and great, but then when you take someone who's like that um, and they become pregnant and if they're not very strong, their ligaments will soften and lax even more over the course of the pregnancy. So it really leaves them open to um, instability. And so if they don't have that strength, to hold everything together and they're really the muscle going, now so yes you say strength you want the muscle to hold is that what you're thinking yeah, so those people that you can't do anything about what you've been given if you're hypermobile then you're a hypermobile person but the key for someone that's hypermobile is to try and contain the joints they need to try and you know maintain some strength and stability so it doesn't need they don't need to be like you know super power lifters or anything like that but it's more about just having um, some control in their muscles and joints so that they're not all sort of floppy. So those women, if you know that you're hypermobile, it would be really worthwhile to sort of really work on strength and stability, you know, whether it's, um, you know, working with someone who's uh, good with prenatal Pilates or working with a, a trainer or going to a group class or something like that, someone that can educate you. Maybe it's a pelvic floor specialist with a physiotherapist, you know, and any number of um, professionals can help you, but it's really worthwhile for that person to put the time and effort into just working on those things because it's not just throughout the pregnancy, but after you've given birth, your body is still releasing relaxin from a minimum of six months afterwards. So for six months afterwards, everything is still super soft and, and gooey and it's great because, you know, you've got these nice big fleshy boobs and the skin's <laughs> just slowly going back and all the rest of it. But you're really vulnerable because this is the time where you've got a newborn baby and you're bending over um, changing the nappy, you've got them in the bath, you're trying to get them in the car and you, you're really having to really have a lot of strength and stability in your body at a time where you've got minimal strength and stability. So if you can really work on those things earlier on, I think that can really help prevent the serious stuff down the track. Mm. Um, 
very often I talk about, uh, you know, when I talk to women in pregnancy and what they need to do for, you know, often I talk to them about birth and the postpartum, obviously, and what can they do to optimize both their pregnancy experience, but birth, of course. Um, and what I often talk about is, which is the opposite, the not so hypermobile women. It's often the more, you know, tight Yes, that we have and about how important it is to have that mobility in the pelvis for the baby to align its, you know, set itself up, tuck yep. it in and yep. down and all that stuff. Um, but either way, it's obviously really important to find that medium, that, that the best possible place that you can get to. But it how soon yes. would you say in your experience and with what you do, should a woman who knows that she's pregnant or maybe she even knows that she wants, she's trying to fall pregnant, should she start right away, in your opinion? Should she see a chiropractor right away? Where is your recommendation on that? Well, I generally think that for the first few months of pregnancy in that um, first trimester, um, I don't like to put any rules and regulations on um, treatment or exercise or anything like that. I think if you just need to lie down and relax for three months, then so be it. No option to do anything else. It's rough. You had a rough, um, didn't you? you had I, a- tend to, I tend to find that I, I mean, I can treat pregnant women in those first few months, but I tend to find that um, it's better if we wait until sort of about maybe the 16-week mark. I just like to make sure that everything's locked and loaded in place and, you know, the baby's really nice and secure and they're feeling really comfortable and confident within the pregnancy. I think a lot of women are maybe a little anxious in the first few months and or excited and or tired and sick, all of those things maybe together. And so um, I tend to recommend for women to just do whatever they feel in those first few months. So if they don't have the energy to do much at all, that's cool, we can always play catch up if you feel like going for a little bit of a walk. But I certainly don't, you know, encourage you to go and do anything really hardcore and crazy during those first few months. Then moving on from that, once you've sort of got through that first trimester and you're generally feeling a little bit better, um, your body is starting to show some signs of change by the time you get to about 16 weeks. Like there is definitely that um, pelvic tilt that's happening. There's the bit of swelling in the belly. Um, the boobs are growing, all that sort of thing. And you're starting to get a little bit more of your energy back. So you're tending to feel like, okay, maybe I can do something now. So I think that's the time that I tend to start seeing my pregnant ladies. And, um, that's the time where I start recommending, look, if you feel like swimming, Swimming's fantastic exercise for pregnant women because it's super weightless and you're using your whole body and you know you feel very buoyant and supported and it's great for strengthening all those muscles in your body in nice um, balance and synchronicity. Um, if you feel like going for some nice walks, that's great. You can start getting into your Pilates or your prenatal yoga. I mean, if you feel like doing a little bit, if you've come from a background of weight training, or that kind of fitness training, then certainly you can continue with that, with the okay of your um, doctor or obstetrician. Um, But I certainly wouldn't be going for any personal bests during that time. It's about sort of maintaining nice strength and balance. So if you haven't been doing anything at all, you'd probably be wanting to do something 
more gentle, like yoga and Pilates. Um, but if you have been maintaining um, a fitness and strength routine prior to that, then you can probably include some of those things. You just wouldn't be wanting to do anything that's going to make you too unstable. So rather than, say, if you were doing... Um, say, some walking lunges or something like that, you'd probably keep them more static lunges. So you just you just need to try and keep the pelvis a bit more mm. stable rather than trying to wobble around too much. Um, and then in terms of the treatment that I do, uh, a lot of chiropractors do a wonderful technique for pregnant women called the Webster Technique. And it's a super gentle technique. There's no cracking or crazy adjustments like that. I know there's a lot of fear around that and I'll talk about that. But this technique is really just about balancing any torsion in the pelvis because that's usually the first thing that we see in pregnant women is they, their pelvis starts to sort of twist and, you know, as the pelvis twi- um, tilts forward, there's like this compensation that happens and, you know, you get some aches and pains around your pelvic region and your low back. So this technique really you just block the woman so that um, we use these little gentle blocks underneath the pelvis, one higher than the other, and it just gently allows the body to sort of find its nice little balance again. So we start off with that and um, then we work on the ligaments, the round ligaments. So when your, your uterus inside your body is not just sort of floating around inside your body, it's actually attached to your sacrum and also to the front of your abdominal wall via these ligaments. So it's held in place. And, um, of course, as the pregnancy progresses, there's more sort of stretching and tension on these ligaments. Um, Pregnant women often complain to me and say, oh, yeah, I'm getting this sort of real pulling pain at the lower part of my belly on the outsides. Yeah, very strong. And that's the round ligaments that attach, attach from the uterus to the front of the abdominal wall. That's them sort of starting to pull and stretch and tension. And what we often find is with that um, twist in the pelvis um, that there's more tension on one part of the round ligament at the front than the other side. So you've got one side pulling more than the other. And also means with the twist in the pelvis, you've got a torsion in the uterus. And what that means, of course, is the baby's got a little less room than it could use. So if you've got the pelvis twisting and the uterus kind of torsioning, then the bubba maybe hasn't got quite as much room to get its head all the way down. So what we do is we balance out the pelvis. We take the um, twist out of the pelvis just using the nice gentle blocks. And then once we've done that, we just release these round ligaments on the front of the belly. It's very gentle and it feels quite pleasant. And just by doing that, you get this nice sort of centering. So the pelvis is nice and square and the uterus is perfectly positioned. And then the baby has got plenty of room to sort of get itself head down. So it's something I I usually check that every time I see a pregnant woman. So starting from about 16 weeks, I um, I tend to see them every four weeks um, for the first three goes. So 16 weeks, 20 weeks, 24 weeks and then to 28 weeks. And then at 28 weeks, we sort of decide whether we need to go a little more frequent than every four weeks. Maybe we go every um, three weeks or two weeks, just depending on how the woman's feeling. Sometimes this is at the point where you really start to feel a lot of um, 
you know, pelvic stress and strain and low back pain. So we're just working on releasing the muscles and releasing the glute muscles and just trying to get everything feeling a bit more comfortable, maybe relaxing some of the tension in their upper back and around their neck, just once again using some gentle soft tissue techniques, a bit of mobilisation, just everything really soft and gentle just to try and create some balance and take some of the pressure and, and load off the body. Um, so by 28 weeks, you start to maybe the when you have your you know your ultrasound, they tend to start saying, oh, you know, the baby is um, in a transverse position or it's mm. head down or posterior. They start to talk to you a little bit about the position of the baby, and it's over these next maybe you know eight to ten weeks that it's really crucial about trying to get the baby into the right position because we know that after a certain point, it just it gets a bit stuck, like it can get a bit harder for it to move around. There's not as much room. Mm. So if, you know, it's looking like the bubba's, um, you know, feet down and head up or it's lying horizontally, um, this is when, you know, this Webster technique can just, it's not like a magic cure or and it is not like a baby turning technique, but it at least helps helps the woman's body to be in optimal position so that there's um, optimal amount of room so that the baby can turn around if it wants to. Is it, so, would it be enough for someone who is at, let's say, 28 or 30 weeks that have been told that their baby is not an ideal position to do it once or twice? Have you seen that be enough for a woman? Um, look, at 28 to 30 weeks, I mean, anything can still happen, I think. Um, but generally, you look, it can happen after two or three sessions. I probably wouldn't see it after one session mm -hmm. because it's much more subtle. So it's not sort of like a, a wham, bang, and boom, you're in the right place. It's sort of gently, yeah, gently co coaxing the body and just balancing it out and also perhaps showing the woman a few exercises to help um, stabilize her pelvis or maybe um, encouraging her to um, do some, you know, pelvic release exercises or using a fit ball and, you know, rolling the pelvis, getting on her hands and knees and just trying to really open up that whole area, especially if, say, it's a, a posterior baby, you can, you can do a lot just by being on your hands and knees as well. So often you can see change with those types of um presentations in one or two treatments but if it's um say if it's like a transverse like where it's horizontal that is a bit tougher so we really have to you know work at it and, and work consistently to try and you know make that change in the earlier the better mm, mm, yeah um now with optimal positioning which is it's such a thing and I really believe that the more we do in terms of making more room really from my perspective it's we need to create as much space in there as possible for Definitely. the baby to finding it, it be, the best place. Hmm. Um, what are the other things that you see that works for women? So I think, you know, getting frequent or, you know, every four weeks getting a chiropractic assessment and seeing what's going on and, and doing your yoga and Pilates. Is there anything else that you would recommend that women really, you know, do as part of the self-care, as part of making sure that they can maintain the pregnancy, but also working towards that, you know, day that's coming, which is birth. Yeah. Well, how well look, I really, 
I think what I'm seeing a lot of now is that, um, you know, women are working really hard right up until the moment they give birth. And um, certainly if they're in a very um, desk-bound job, they're sitting all day with this, you know, the growing baby, the pregnancy. And I think that really doesn't help for optimal positioning. I mean, I know we all need to do our job, but I, if, you know, without making it too difficult for women, but I think if they were to just sort of get up and move around, like, you know, walk, you know, walk up and down hills and really sort of move their bodies, get in the water and swim. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, a specific regimented Pilates or yoga program, but it's about just the more you move your body freely, it allows it to sort of find its own balance. Mm-hmm. And um, certainly being upright and on, you know, two feet and walking, you're swinging your pelvis, you're activating all your muscles, you're activating, you know, your leg muscles and your glute muscles and um, you're, you've got the downward force of gravity and the bub can just sort of start to naturally find its its way and in, there's a nice amount of space there. But if you're sitting down at the desk or sitting in a chair all the time, firstly, you're activating your hip flexors all the time. So you're decreasing the space in your um, abdominal area anyway, in that sort of pelvic area. This Everything's sort of compressed. You're destabilising your sacroiliac joints at the back with sitting and everything's compressing through your lumbar spine. You're just not allowing, there's just not enough room. The baby's pushing up under your ribs and you're not really giving yourself, you know, a good chance. So I think if there's just one simple thing you could do is would just be to get up and move around and, you know, even if it means just taking a little walk around the block if you're working from home or just, you know, taking the time to sort of, you know, be on your feet and and um, and just allow everything to move naturally. I think that's like really, really ideal thing to be doing. And also it helps to naturally, um, you know, get the muscles working and, and engaging in the right way. And something that I see a lot of, um, so we talked about with the centre of gravity, the, um, you know, the stomach muscles softening, but also with those stomach muscles softening and the pelvic um, pelvic bone tilting forward, what we find is the glute muscles switch off. So your low back muscles turn on because they're tightening to support that arch. The stomach muscles have gone looser because they're stretching out for the baby, but your butt muscles, which usually are really helping to support your pelvis, they just kind of go flaccid and they really switch off. Mm. Now, it's not good, but it's just it's just in response to this change in centre of gravity. And um, obviously our butt muscles really help to give us that lovely um, stability, but they're also very powerful muscles. So you think while you're giving birth, like ideally you want to be sort of squatting or in an upright position. And so I think, um, you know, women need strong legs and butts. So I think, you know, if you can, you know, work on keeping your butt strong and um, keeping your legs strong, that's going to, one, help with, you know, overall the structure and the positioning of the baby, but also it's going to help you during the birth because you're going to be able to sustain long periods of, Hard squatting, work. Mm-hmm. hard work, yes. 
You want to be able to stand on your own two feet if it need be sort of thing, whatever it takes sort of thing. Um, And then, of course, afterwards it really, really helps in um, supporting your, you know, your low back and your stomach muscles and, you know, it helps you to get to that recovery a little bit faster. If your legs and butt are strong, then, you know, they're sort of that part of that, you know, core that are going to keep you from injuring yourself. Um, And also no one wants the the dreaded mum bum. So if we... But it happens. It happens. It's brutal. That's why we need to see you. Yeah. <laughs> um, we don't want them, the flat mum bum. So, I mean, I can't guarantee a bubble butt after birth. Damn it. But um, I can t- certainly show you lots of things so that you can keep yourself nice and strong and and keep a nice sort of healthy, injury-free uh, Yeah. Well, you are a walking example, my friend, of someone who has maintained a beautiful, lush bum. (laughs) I never thought I would say that in my life, but there you go. It's it's out there. So it must be possible. But I also know that you do the work, as I said earlier on. Now, Vivica, I want to ask you about the cracking. Um, We briefly touched on it just a moment ago, but that's the number one thing that I get asked about all the time, whether it's safe, do chiropractors do it? And so I wonder if you could speak to that because it is scary for all of us. Mm. All right. So the cracking. So firstly, um, chiropractors, osteopaths and physiotherapists can all do um, manipulations of the spine or other um, parts of the body, other joints um, that will cause an audible crack, cracking sound. So um, an adjustment or a manipulation of the spine that causes a crack is not two bones cracking. It's actually um, you're creating space in the joint. And so what you're hearing is the release of a bubble of gas. So it's like a popping sound as you sort of gap the joint. So when um, a physio or an osteo or chiro does a manipulation on a part of someone's body and it makes a cracking sound, it's not like a whole bunch of bones going crack, 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 crack. It's really just you're creating space in an area that's been really tight and fixed. So, I mean, I am very skilled at doing audible adjustments, but I don't rely totally on those in my practice. There's lots of other adjusting techniques that I use that don't involve any cracking whatsoever. Um, So I can use a technique called sacro-occipital technique and you just use blocks and you do some cranial work and it's Super gentle, um, no cracking at all. There's um, an instrument that sometimes chiros use called an activator, and it's just like a little um, instrument that has sort of a, a rubberized tip, and it also does adjustments, but um, it doesn't cause any cracking. So really what you're doing with um, an adjustment or uh, an, a manipulation of a joint is you're just trying to create some space in that joint. You're trying to get it moving again because it's stuck and it's not moving properly. So that's essentially what it is. And the, the cracking is nothing to be afraid of. Um, it certainly doesn't hurt or shouldn't hurt. 
and um, it's just a sort of a, a bubble of gas being released. But given that, you know, there's lots of times I have people in my practice and I don't do any audible adjustments on them whatsoever. I can do much more um, gentle mobilising techniques. Um, some people like having one part of their body adjusted but not another part of their body, um, and I totally respect that. Um, with my pregnant ladies, um, I tend to use that Webster technique for the pelvis and lower back, and that involves no cracking or popping whatsoever, no fast, sharp, hard movements whatsoever. It's all super gentle um, and slow. Um, but I will sometimes adjust their upper back, their thoracic, like in between their shoulder blades, but only if they want me to do that. There's never sort of a we must do that is whatever the patient feels comfortable about and, you know, we talk it through. So um, I can do that or I can just do some more gentle mobilisations and stretches and get things moving in that way. Um, some people have some fear around adjustments or cracking in the neck and um, before I do any adjustments in the neck, I always do a, a safety test on the patient. It's called a vertebral artery test. So I just tilt the head back and um, I ask them if they feel dizzy or sick. And the position that I tilt their head back allows me to test the integrity of the blood flow to their brain on both sides. And if this test were to be positive, they would feel immediately dizzy or sick and it would be an indication that no it's not safe for me to do an adjustment so I do that on every single patient that I adjust manually at the neck um, but there's lots of people that I just do some nice gentle mobilizations and and traction so I feel like the cracking or the the um, manipulations they're just one very small part of the way that I practice and um, only one of the things in my toolkit that I use to help people feel better within their bodies. I think that's such a good point because that is actually my perspective of chiropractic treatments is that it's quite a broad range of ways of supporting the body and manipulating the body. But um, that's not really the how the perception. Yeah, the perception is yes. not like that. It's very much, it seems like there is three types of cracks and people are a little bit intimidated by it, but they also know that it kind of works. So they're happy to do it every now and then. But in pregnancy, the feedback I have gotten is that they've really worried about it and it doesn't seem safe. Um, and I often say, well, just ask not to be cracked and you'll see that there are other ways that, you know, otherwise you're not seeing the right practitioner, I would say. Yes. Uh, so I think this is really good information for women who are pregnant in terms of there's so much more to it. And it's really about bringing the body into a balance and optimizing wherever you are individually in terms of your body, your history, what's happened to your body and so on. The tailbone, we have to talk about the tailbone. Oh, yes. Okay. Your little tailbone gets so many knocks throughout life. And it's so, it has a quite a phenomenal job in labor and birth, of course, because it has to move out of the way as baby descends and comes out. So it's quite a, a, a stiff little area that has to be mobile. And if that has been knocked throughout life prior to pregnancy, it can be just uncomfortable. Well, see, what's interesting with the tailbone is that um, it uh, is held in place with some ligaments. So as those ligaments soften during pregnancy, 
it's so it can start to, the tailbone can start to move out and stretch. That's that's one part that's supposed to happen. But our pelvic floor is a sling and it actually connects onto the tailbone. So when the ligaments of the tailbone soften and relax so that the tailbone can open up, the pelvic floor muscles actually start to tighten because there's sort of there's kind of like a tension as the tailbone swings out. And so that can cause a lot of pain and discomfort. So it's kind of like this tug of war type thing. Um, look, I think people who have had an injury to the tailbone, they are the ones that really can suffer, like if they've, you know, broken their tailbone or they've had a fall or something like that. So often during the course of pregnancy, that can be a real problem for them. But it's not so much uh, fixing that because obviously the pelvic floor is very important. It has to do its very important job during pregnancy of holding that sort of whole sling, you know, the growing baby. And then of course, during the birth. So we don't really want to fiddle around with that too much. I think that if the tailbone is causing a lot of pain and discomfort during the course of the pregnancy, it's about managing the whole situation. So it would be about trying to balance out the pelvis releasing the muscles around that area. So there's, you know, all the glute muscles that sort of attaching down around the sacrum and pelvis. Um, it's about making sure the pubic synthesis at the front is nice and balanced. It's not sort of twisted or pulling one side more than the other because that will have a direct effect on the tailbone. And then just making the woman as comfortable as possible, maybe um, it's like sleeping position, making sure that the pelvis is really nice and um uh, parallel, so she's not twisting on one side or the other, putting torsion on the the join of the tailbone. So you'd have a pillow between the knees. Maybe you'd be sitting on a little, um, like a little round pillow, just to sort of support the tailbone, um, icing the area. Just really simple strategies to try and, I guess, just manage the discomfort. Um, it is only temporary, looking also at releasing those round ligaments at the front. So if we get this front part working properly, then that can sometimes take some of that tension off the back part. So really there's not like a magic cure for the tailbone because it is so complex. You don't realise that there's so much joining onto that area. But just by creating as much balance as we can around the pelvis and the rest of the body, making sure that the woman's sitting properly at work, you know, really trying to um, be aware of their posture because just by having um, good posture and having their centre of gravity nice and balanced, they're going to put less stress and strain on that area and there's going to be less pulling on the, um, the ligaments around that area, which is going to take the strain off the tailbone. But, yes, it is. It's a tough one. And sometimes I've even heard of women um, just as they go into labour, they hear an enormous pop around their tailbone and it's like everything's ready to open wow. up and go. Mm. So, um, but generally after the birth, you know, there is obviously a recovery time and um, just managing that, you know, with simple things like, you know, sitting on a comfortable cushion or, you know, icing the area and um, maybe you need to have a, um, a pelvic stability belt um, which helps to, it's like an elasticized sort of belt, sort of helps to hold the pelvis together. And that just helps to give the um, sacroiliac joints and, and underneath that, the tailbone, a little bit more support just so that during those sort of 
six weeks of healing postpartum, things can start to stabilise and not be so stressed. Look, if it does persevere, though, after um, childbirth, like I think it's really important for these women to um, seek out a pelvic floor physiotherapist, like someone who is very specialised in the internal mechanics of the body. It's a very specialised area. I wouldn't just go and see your regular physio, osteo, chiro, if you've got something that's really um, internal. So I think it's best to see someone that deals with just postpartum women. That would be my um, best advice for that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great advice. In terms of uh, the tools we have for supporting us, if we if there are you know real intense discomfort as we're growing the baby or in the postpartum, are you someone who recommends you know you can have those belly bands in, in pregnancy and also of course postpartum? Do you recommend those? Okay, so certainly um, not so much a belly band, but a proper pelvic stability um, belt. It's like you know it's probably maybe 10 centimetres wide and um, it's elasticised and it has some Velcro on it and you do you would put it low on your pelvis so it's covering your um, that sort of triangular bone at the base of your spine and it low onto your hips and right under the um, baby's baby mm-hmm. bulge. Mm-hmm. Um, you would have that because that helps to, um, if there's some real instability there, if the ligaments have really got super lax and it's really painful, it really helps to provide some stability. And, yes, it's an excellent tool. In fact, during my first pregnancy, um, you know, I was working seeing patients right up until 38 weeks, but um, at about 20 weeks I was hobbling around because I was feeling I was very unstable around my pelvis and um, I was wearing a, a pelvic stability belt and it just made all the difference. Like it really just gave me that little bit of extra support and um, I was able to sort of continue on my way and it really, I really, really highly recommend that for pregnant women. After um, the pregnancy, yes, of course, you can have something like that and you can also after the pregnancy you can go for something that's um, even higher so um, I don't know whether you've seen some of those. Um, they're almost like bike pants or spanks, yes. and they've been created um, not only to help to support the connective tissue and the, the pelvic area, but they help to sort of support those abdominal muscles that maybe have separated. Um, they help them to sort of hold them together so that they can start to knit back together again. Because remember, we talked about how the stomach muscles separate during the course of the pregnancy. So afterwards, um, wearing like a belly band or, you know, wearing these sort of support pants, I suppose, helps to hold the muscles together so that they can start to naturally do their thing and knit together again, which is ideally what you want to have happen. So it's not um, doing the job of the stomach muscles, but it's just helping to support them and hold them together you don't want to be doing anything that's going to pull them apart but it's also obviously after you've given birth um you know your whole I guess the whole underneath area is maybe a little inflamed and swollen maybe you've got stinkers (laughs) it just um it just those kind of things can be nice and supportive and just help to sort of um hold things in place and give you a bit of extra support so you feel more comfortable and and um, 
there's less, you know, friction and things like that on that area. Um, coming back to the um, the higher uh, support pelvic um, belts um, for after the baby's born, um, I think it is a good idea, certainly in those first few weeks, because, you know, you are doing a lot of lifting of little newborn babies and, and twisting and um, you are at a really vulnerable point. Um, your body can, you know, you can really hurt your low back and everything because these stomach muscles are still quite um, soft and separated. You know, your uterus is still quite big. So just by having that extra support, it just kind of contains the area a little bit. It's not taking over the job of your stomach muscles, but it's just helping to support everything so that you don't hurt yourself really. Um, and I think they're a great idea. And they also, I think, you know, give you a feeling of confidence as well. You feel like, okay, instead of hold everything, a bit more supported. Yeah, I think anything to support the area is key. I think it's important to know also that, um, you know, if you're breastfeeding, um, certainly in those first few months, and we've talked about how the relaxant is still coursing through your body and the connective tissue is still really soft and the stomach muscles are still wide open and stuff like that. You want to be trying to really as much as possible maintain a good seated posture when you're breastfeeding. And you certainly don't want to be, say, lying down and then trying to sit yourself up holding a baby because mm. your poor stomach muscles are sort of wide apart and that sort of sitting up is just going to pull them further apart and um, you might end up with a little bit of a hernia or what we call a, um, a diastasis, which is more like a, you know, a separation that in the stomach muscles that might sort of last longer than that postpartum period. So anything that you can do during those first few weeks, obviously the main focus is looking after your new little newborn, but also looking after yourself. So you want to try and sort of maintain sort of comfortable you know, upright posture so that you can really allow those muscles to have the most support that they can have so that you don't hurt your low back or or um, tear the stomach muscles even further. Uh, when I, for instance, when I had my second child, I had been carrying around a very chubby toddler for the <laughs> entire pregnancy and um, I had a very quick easy delivery. It was only a two-hour um, delivery, which was great. And then I was shocked when the physiotherapist came in and checked my stomach muscles and she said, you've got a four-finger separation in your stomach wow. muscles. So There's a hole in my stomach that was, you know, four fingers wide. And, um, you know, that was because I'd been carrying the baby, you know, a toddler around on yeah. one hip and twisting my pelvis and the stomach muscles were pulling apart. And so then, you know, when the baby was born, like I realised afterwards that, you know, I had this big hole in my stomach muscles. And so I found it very helpful to um, wear the sort of the belly band high up for those first probably six weeks, just because it just helped to encourage the stomach muscles to sort of knit back together again and supported them so that when I did do something that encouraged them to pull apart, they were sort of more held together. Yeah. Um, I certainly didn't do any sit-ups or any crazy exercises. The only thing I really worked on um, 
while I was breastfeeding was to, I worked on my pelvic floor, like my Kegel muscles. And I always also worked on um, imagining my belly button drawing back into my spine. So I was imagining the muscles knitting back together. So that was kind of as simple, you know, as simple as it, you know, is as it was. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Can I ask you, um, when you talked before about the instability, feeling unstable, is that because I know women will be thinking about this because we can feel unstable, but we can also just feel fine and go through pregnancy and it all feels fine. But there is an instability there. Is it directly correlated with pain or can you need a belly belt and not be in pain? Because sometimes I find that there is a surprise element in the postpartum where women go, I'm surprised that they feel pain afterwards or like you say, a gap in the abdomen that they didn't realize they had. And are there sometimes where where it's sort of hidden, it's masked and we don't know, or is it always a given that there will be pain if something is misaligned? Okay, so I think that um, certainly during the pregnancy, um, it can work both ways. So you can have um, instability and pain. And you can have, I, no, I think it's more you have instability and pain, but you can yeah. have, obviously there is going to be instability during the pregnancy just because of the, the changes that happen, um, but your body might be coping with the changes so you don't have pain. But then what often can happen after you've given birth is that your lifestyle changes considerably. So your body has been coping during the course of the pregnancy because, you know, you've been really looking after yourself and you've been going to your Pilates and yoga or going for some lovely walks and you've just had yourself to take care of. But then suddenly after the birth, you've got the relaxants still coursing through your body. You've got the instability that was there during the pregnancy but now you're using your body in a different way. So um, you're sort of trying to get a newborn baby in and out of a car seat. Um, you know, you're bathing a little baby. You're, you know, maybe nursing a baby, trying bouncing a baby for hours on end because they're crying. And so then because suddenly life has become an endurance event, looking after this newborn, mm-hmm. your body can't cope anymore. And that's when the pain sets in. So I hope, to, is that not too confusing? No, mixed so you can sense. certainly during pregnancy have the instability and pain, but you can also be unstable and then after you've given birth start to have pain. Because There's another so thing that women, mm. yes, other women, other thing women get during um, after they've had the babies, it's um, uh, tendonitis in their hands and yes, wrists and so things often. like that. Yes, and it's because they're sort of having to contort their hands in funny positions to for a move, you know, time. hold babies and, yeah, for hours on end. And um, I think it always takes them by surprise and suddenly they've got their wrist in a brace and really that um, instability was there the whole time. It's just that they're using their body in a different way. So now there's like an overuse yeah. and you get an injury or a tendonitis or a, a ligament strain associated yeah. with it. And I would add, I think on top of that, um, that whole, you know, musculoskeletal ordeal that happens, we then also have an underlying, which is, we don't have to cover now, but, you know, what's nutritionally going on, if there is more, you know, inflammation that's happening and the hormones that are changing. Yeah. So there's so many things, but I think the main 
purpose of this is to really not underestimate how important it is to just work on the foundation that we do have because pregnancy and postpartum life, there's so much uncertainty. There's more uncertainty than certainty in terms of what's going to happen, how it's going to feel like and all of that. But I, I just really value, you know, practicing the things that we have a little bit of control of. Um, and that is our foundation and how we choose to carry ourselves in this process of growing and birthing and nurturing babies afterwards. Um, and just honoring yourself and, and sort of going, okay, well, I am busy. I've got all these work deadlines or I've got all these other things to do, but actually this is a priority right now. And I'm a priority and I might be coping. Okay. But you know, I want to be thriving during this and enjoying this process and um, and giving yourself the time and space to do what needs to be done so that you can be feeling great. It's the No one wants to be a tired, sore, emotional new mum. Everyone wants to be, you know, I mean, there are moments when, you know, it is really yeah. tough, but you certainly, if you can have a strong pain-free body that's a good start if you're in a lot of pain and things are not working properly you know if you've got aches and pains and you know in all sorts of funny places that really doesn't set you up to be in a good headspace to to manage any type of pain really drags down the mental most definitely billions down dramatically so um it's well worth the work but i really value what you just said and i hope that everyone listening takes it on board because it's that thing of, of we have to come first because um, of course we want to nurture and, you know, our love for our babies are beyond anything that we can verbalize. But with that comes you, you know, the mother who has to be the priority because how you're doing is going to directly reflect onto your child or how you're caring for your child. So um, amen, sister. Well said. <laughs> um, any last tips that you, and I'll tell you what I have in mind here, is for the postpartum, you've given so many beautiful tools and really deep insight as to how it actually works and why chiropractic care is something to consider. Um, but often I find when I see women uh carrying their babies or getting in and out of cars, you've touched on it a few times, or babies in and out of bathtubs. Um, I go, ooh, the back the back, or if they're doing it in a in a, you know, um twisting way, that's definitely not a good idea. Are there any sort of easy tips that you could share with us in terms of something that we can maybe have in our minds as we're lifting the babies in and out or anything else really that you go, really this makes a difference, or in your personal experience as a mother and chiropractor? Well, I definitely think when it comes to um, any time that you're sort of, you know, lifting a baby into a bath or into a car or anything like that, I often see um, men and women, they seem to be holding the baby away from their body and then just sort of bending over through their spine. Um, So their spine's rounded and the baby weight is sort of away from the body. Mm -hmm. And I think that leaves you in a really, really vulnerable position. I think it's always best to try and have the baby really close to your center. So holding the baby close and always thinking about keeping your spine long. So you bend at your hinges. So you bend at your hips and your knees and you keep your spine long and the baby close to your center. 
And if you can remember to sort of like keep those tummy muscles on, like pull your belly button into your spine, you keep a nice strong centre and your knees and hips are made to move and bend. So you sort of bend through those hinges and keep this core nice and strong Mm -hmm. and stable and keep the baby weight close to your centre. So if you're um, putting the bubba in the car, for instance, rather than sort of leaning over and sort of, you know, popping the baby into the car seat and really, you know, loading up your low back with, Mm. you know, a baby sort of strung out at the end of your hand sort of thing. You would keep the baby nice and close to your centre, you know, close to your heart really, Mm. and then, you know, bend right over. You're squatting down and bending through your knees and then popping the baby in. Mm. I would try not to be doing too much twisting movement try and keep the movements pure so you twist your whole body rather than twisting from the spine because the easiest way to damage a disc in your low back is by having a weight i.e a baby and twisting your your low back doesn't like load and twist it likes things to be in a more pure movement so you can do the twist but you twist from the whole body to put the baby the hips down yeah yeah yeah. does that make sense it makes absolute sense. And it's a great to have that. I mean, gosh, so many times we do it a million times a day, but if we can at least do 50% of those in the correct way, we have such less likelihood of, of course. course, well, we can't, it can't be perfect all the time. And then when it comes to, you know, holding babies on one hip, I often see down the track, a real imbalance happening there with the, you know, one side being hitched up and the other not. Mm-hmm. I do try and um, encourage mums to use both sides so that they you know maybe use one hip sometimes and then they use the other hip and you can't you'd be amazed at how um able you become to you know using both hands really and having one hip free or one hand free and so but just changing it up rather than just going oh the baby can only go on the left side and I can only use the right hand try and change that around so you start to use the muscles the muscles in your um your back and your body, they um, they balance and they sort of get into synchronicity if you're using both sides. But if you only use one side, then you sort of strengthen one side and the other side becomes weaker and that sets you up for imbalances down the track mm-hmm. as well. Um, and then just having awareness. So it doesn't, obviously, we've all been there where you've got the baby and you've got the shopping and you've got the dog lead as well and it's all happening. You're being dragged along. But if you can have some awareness of like, okay, this is not great right now, but not just collapsing into it, really trying to think about, okay, well, what can I do right in this moment? Well, maybe I can just, you know, make sure that, you know, I'm not arching through my back. Maybe I pull my belly button into my spine or maybe I'll like think about my Kegels or just one little thing so that you can sort of keep centred and connected and and really protect that part of your body because it's it's precious and um, it can be injured very easily. Mm, that's great tips. Vibeke, I think that's a good place to end our very informative conversation. I have loved it and I could keep going because it doesn't end, does it? It's a very complex thing, this body. Um, but I wanted to say thank you. And I know the work you do is gentle. It's very holistic. It's um, really well-rounded because you also have the yoga teacher element. You have got so much to offer. Um, so I'm glad that you could be here for a little while and I could pick your brain um, thank you so much I really appreciate oh, it thank time. you it's been an absolute pleasure thank you Anna Maria I hope you enjoyed today's episode 
If you have any questions or topics that you would like me to speak about, I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me via my website, anamaria.com.au. And remember to subscribe so that you get each new episode as they become available. I would greatly appreciate it if you could take a moment to write Mums via a review on iTunes. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, take care of yourself and your loved ones.